The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, good morning and welcome to the Source of Truth podcast and thanks for joining us today as we finish out the week together in the Word of God. In just a moment, we'll be in the end of Genesis 45, which is kind of one of those stories you kind of wait to see the reveal. What does the father say when the brothers come home and tell him everything that's happened? But we look at all of this in a second, we'll get there. I wanna encourage you uh, to join us this weekend, Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We are having in-person services, and that includes a children's church, uh, which includes social distancing. We have a nursery. And then, of course, our 10 o'clock service goes from about 10 to 11.15. And, excuse me, and then our evening service at 5 o'clock. And so we encourage you to join us for both of those. As we look forward to a great time, they're unique services in themselves. And so we encourage you to join us for both of those. As in the morning, we're going to the book of Acts. In the evening, we're studying the book of Revelation. And uh, we think it's a great time, a great study, especially for today's culture. And so we hope you join us. If somehow, the reason you can't make it uh, in person, we invite you to join us online. We'll be live streaming both of those again, 10 in the morning and five o'clock in the evening. And we invite you to join us either way. And we are so glad you're with us this morning. And again, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, as we continue in the series we've been currently doing called Living the Dream, a study through the life of Joseph. And uh, we're going to get to a unique section of scripture a unique section of scripture where in this story, the brothers had been told to go back and tell their father that Joseph is alive. Now, please remember, they, they, told, jo- they told Jacob, would have been 20 plus years ago, that Joseph was dead. And they told him because they had just sold him into slavery and they took that coat of many colors, a thing they hated so much. And they, they put animal blood on it, took it home, showed their brother, Uh, show their father, uh, rather, and then from that, their father, since that point, has been convinced that Joseph is dead. And so now for 20 plus years, really been mourning the loss of his favorite son uh, from his favorite wife and all these different battles. And then all of a sudden, he's about to find out not just that his brothers, not just that Joseph is alive, but I'm sure he's going to find out how in the world is it that he is not dead. What happened? So let's go ahead and look at the passage. All right, Joseph, uh, Joseph, Genesis chapter 45. I'm going to start reading in verse number 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which we had, he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob was their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now it's interesting here. Let's just take, and some of what I'm gonna look at, I can't say is for fact. Uh, the reason is there's nothing that states this as far as I understand. So, you know, we, we don't see that the, the brothers went back and said, listen, we, we need to tell you what happened 20 plus years ago. They could have. They could have simply said, listen, somehow we saw this coat, we saw the blood. Obviously, he lived through the experience, and now he's in Egypt. They could have. They could have easily just kind of created another story, or they could have said, okay, he's alive, now we need to explain what really happened. We don't know. We actually don't have a record, at least at this point, of which one of those took place. 
Uh, we know that Joseph confronted his brothers, and I'm going to assume, I'm going to look and say, I have a hard time believing that the brothers were going to try and create a fake story because they're all about to move to Goshen, all about to move up to Egypt, and there's no way that this the truth is not going to get out. And so it just makes more sense. Now let's just give the answer. Let's give the truth and see what happens. I think there's some things to remember here. Um, the father knew what these brothers were like. He'd sent Joseph out to t- tell me what's going on. He knew the, the evil nature of their brothers, of his other sons, and maybe why he loved Joseph so much. We really don't know. So we know this, and so we, we recognize that it would not be a major surprise for J- Jacob to hear all this. But what we see is, can you imagine this? And so all of a sudden his brothers come home. I mean, please understand, you've got to look through everything going on so far. So he sends them up because of the famine, he sent, or sends them down technically, sends them to Egypt uh, because of the famine to get food. They come home without Simeon. And they need, um, they need Benjamin. Well, he's not going to send Benjamin. And so they choose not to go back up. They leave Simeon in prison. And they choose to eat until they run out of food. Well, they run out of food again. And, and Judah's like, listen, we're all going to die if we don't go back up there. We need to take Benjamin. And then Judah makes his big claim. Listen, I, I will be the one. Take, take my life. If for some reason this doesn't work, I will take care of him when they take Benjamin back up. And then all of a sudden they get home and the food's in their pack and all these different steps take place all right, with Benjamin and, and, and they be more and more nervous, more and more like God's against us. And why would they think that? Well, please remember, not only were the brothers evil, where they get their example of deception? Well, remember Jacob before his name in this passage is Israel technically. What was his name? Jacob. What does that mean? Supplanter, deceiver. Let's take a second and look back on Jacob. Jacob deceived his brother, steal the birthright. Jacob deceived his father and his brother to steal the blessing. Jacob goes and he meets Laban, who then deceives him, promises him one daughter for marriage, gives him the other one, seven years, 14 years. Finally, he gets both. He takes them both. And then it's not long after that that Jacob deceives Laban and takes his family and leaves and goes back to Esau. So up to this point, please remember, these boys were being born. They were growing. This is what they grew up under. They grew up seeing a man who became the, it was the art of a deceiver. That was what he was good at. And so you got to imagine in the back, and not just my opinion, but you got to imagine the back of the minds of Jacob, uh, maybe his wives, uh, his sons, all of the life of deception that they really thought was, you know, they got away with it and they've been blessed. And strangely enough, God had blessed them through all of this. And so, um, now we look back, now he looks back and says, obviously, all the things that are going on right now are God's punishment. The brothers thought that, Jacob thought that, and now all of a sudden, after all of this craziness, um, these brothers show up. And I wonder if Jacob, now he was an older man, 130 apparently at this point, but as we, if you read later, you find out he was telling Pharaoh, about 130 years old, and he looks out and he sees the, the, the wagons and the other things. And I wonder if he didn't recognize at first what's going on. I don't recognize the stuff that's coming and the wagons that are coming and this large amount of supplies, what's going on. And the brothers come in. Man, they're excited. And they've got this look on their face and they're coming in. And he, he finally, instead of coming in with terror, instead of coming in with uh, Benjamin's dead or whatever he was afraid of, they walk through the door and they walk right in front of Jacob and they say, guess what? Joseph is still alive. Well, the passage says here that uh, he fainted for he believed them not. Well, I don't blame him. After everything that he did in his life and they did, I wouldn't believe him either. He spent 20 plus years of last, 20 plus years of his life convinced that Joseph was dead, mourning. And now all of a sudden, wait a minute, Joseph's alive? 
And so he, they point out and they go through the entire story of everything Joseph had told them, saw the wagons, and finally Jacob believed. And that's where you wonder, obviously, what happened? Why? And there's, I, I'm going to assume, obviously, there's more information here than we have written. And you say, why would you say that? Because we don't know whether they created a story or whether they told the truth. We just know more was told because they went and told a lot of information at that time. Hey, we said everything Joseph said, so we don't know exactly what was said. Jacob says, okay, I'll go back. Now, when we look at this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the last couple minutes. When I, when I look at stories like this, really what you do is you begin to see the full fruition of okay, the promise that was given to Joseph, from God to Joseph. Even the Bible says earlier in, in Genesis that Jacob looked at this and pondered these things in his heart. He understood that there was more to this than just Joseph's perspective. God was doing something unique. And now Jacob's being able to see all of this. And it's easy where you can sit back and say, well, I'm having these problems because of this, 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 this. The world wants to call it karma. Um, I'm not going to go that far. I don't believe that. But I do believe that when we look at this idea of what, you know, Jesus says you reap what you sow, they could easily sit back and say, we deserve this. Here's one of the things I think is unique, and I'm going to just take the last couple of minutes and talk about. We could, and we already did a little bit, we could talk a lot about the deception and really uh, the sinful and cruel actions of Jacob. What he did to his brother, what he did to his father, what he did to his uncle, his mother was on, in, in on it. Uh, there was a lot of this. I mean, his, his mother talked him into doing some of these things and deceived her husband. Um, there was favorites already. There, you know, Je, Isaac had Esau, uh, his wife had, uh, Rebe- had um, Jacob. They had favorites and so he was trained. He was reared to be a fate to treat to have favorites. He was reared to deceive. He he trains this out to his children. So all of this is something's been happening um, through his mother, through his training, and it is just kind of this repetitive sin going through the families. And now he gets you know this larger family and, and the brothers and all these things happening. And you can you we could spend a lot of time talking about the sin of um, of, of the Isaac's family. We could talk about the sin of Jacob's family. We can talk about the sin of the brothers. We could really focus a lot of our attention on the sin and how kind of we could say this. And I'm not, but we could say they kind of all deserve this. You know what's easy to do when you look at other people, you look at things you can point out and say, man, the negative. And we have a tendency. Our, our human minds, our human nature strives and thrives off of seeing the negative. It's not right, but we do. We thrive off of seeing the negative. And it's not good. It's just part of our sinful nature. But you know what I see when I see Jacob and all that we could talk about and his brothers and all that we could talk about and really what they did to Joseph and how God, how God ended up blessing that? I see two things. Number one, God doesn't choose or force people to do bad things, but God can bless the other people in spite of it. Joseph was blessed immensely, even though his brothers intended to do him harm. I don't think God said, I'm going to force the brothers to do him harm. I think God in his foreknowledge says, I know what the brothers are going to do. And when they do it, I'm going to really bless this to fulfill my plan. Because God could have gotten Joseph up there in many other ways. This was the uh, one way. So he gets him up there through this, knowing not, not, I don't think necessarily forcing the brothers to do it, but knowing they would, he follows through. So God knows when people are going to do things to you. God knows when people are going to do certain things that cause hurt to the church or to other people. And I see that God works in spite of that. But you know, all of this, all of this works around one word. Again, proving the narrative of the Bible, all pointing to one thought, and that word is the word grace. Grace that is seen all the way through the Old Testament. And we see this word grace, God giving us something we don't deserve, uh, unmerited favor. 
And we see that God gave grace to Jacob, who didn't deserve it, to his brothers. Can I say, they're to Egypt, and definitely they didn't deserve it. But he used a superpower to provide for and take care of his nation, and they ended up moving to Goshen, where they became a huge nation. They came to Egypt, and they became a huge nation. In fact, they became so big, that's what ended up making the next pharaoh be the one to imprison them for fear that they were going to take over. And probably might, it could have. I don't know what their plans were, but it would make sense. They're getting so big, they're going to outnumber us. So we, we look at the grace of God through all of this, and we get a great picture of the grace of God. And here's why we get the great picture. Because we can spend more time talking about the negative of these families than we can the positives, outside of Joseph. We can go through Scripture, and outside of people like Job, where, again, like Joseph, there's not a negative thing said, per se, we could go through all kinds of scripture from, from David to Saul to Abraham to Moses, and we could go through all of them. And you know what we can do? We can focus a large portion of our attention on their mistakes because there's a lot of them. Because simply put, and I'm grateful for this, God uses broken people through grace. And that is how he's honored. He's honored by offering grace to people who don't deserve it. By the way, to say offering grace to people who don't deserve it is redundant. Grace is unmerited favor, giving me something I don't deserve. The whole definition of grace is God giving me favor when I don't deserve it. It's the entire definition and premise of the word grace. So when I look at this, I recognize that God offers me that. Can I tell you that it's grace offered in salvation. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve salvation. And that's the premise. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you are basing your eternal life off your works, you are not following Scripture. You may be following religion's tradition, but you're not following Scripture. You're not following God. You're not following the right way. And someone's lying to you. The only way to heaven is by grace alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. You don't want to get to heaven and brag on yourself. God doesn't want you to heaven and brag on yourself. He wants you to brag on Him for the grace that is offered. So grace through salvation. Then there's grace for daily life. Grace to deal with everything that's going on in my life. I need that. Grace to handle whatever it is you're going through today. The illnesses in your home, the struggles in your family, the battles with COVID, all the struggles in life right now, the, the, everything that you could be facing right now, you need grace to deal with it. And that's what God offers every day. That is the gospel working every day in our lives. And I look at this and we could focus a lot of our attention on the negative. You know, God doesn't want us to. God can, you know, because the negative is there. God says, in spite of the negative, let me bless you. Let me offer you grace. Can I encourage you to hold on to that grace today? Hold on to his love, hold on to his grace, hold on to the fact that there's nothing I can do to earn grace. There's nothing I can do to earn his favor because I get it because of him and what he's already done. And he loves me, he's created me, and he wants me to walk in his family. I hope you've accepted his grace through salvation today. I hope you're leaning upon his grace for your daily life today. And I trust that you, if you have it, maybe today you put your trust in him and his grace. Thank you so much for joining us today on this wonderful truth of the grace of God. Maybe hold on to it strong, maybe trust in it, and maybe allow it to fuel us in our journey with him. Thanks for joining us as we finish out this week. Again, we invite you to join us Sunday morning, 10 o'clock in the morning on, in, on person. And we say that in person or online. And at 5 o'clock in the, in the in evening service. And we just look forward to two great times of worshiping and fellowshipping together. And we just look forward to a great time. We love you. We hope you have a great weekend. And uh, just keep our eyes focused on Jesus throughout this weekend. We love you. Look forward to seeing you next time.